This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives, with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Matt, Connell, here we are, Perspectives. I don't know what episode we're up to, but man, we, we've just had... <laughs> the reason why we're laughing, Stu, is we just is, had, a, yeah, exactly. we just had a, a pre-podcast conversation. We should, have, we should have pressed the... No, no. <laughs> Uh, which consisted mainly in questions, yeah, which was right. great. I, I thought it's the perfect, the perfect setup uh, for this discussion that we're going to have. So uh, introduce us to you. You do all the all the nice stuff, and then we'll jump in. And you'll do all the nasty stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Connell, welcome back into the studio. Thanks, Thanks for the coffees. That's uh, right. Connell is our coffee man. He yeah. he, he delivers a, a great coffee every time we sit in a doesn't make it the cold he, studio. He, no, he doesn't, doesn't no, make yeah. it. But, no. no, we don't have a coffee machine in here, Matt. Come on. Uh, and uh, and Matt, of course, we know who has read all the books that exist in the world, and no, I, I can't I can't I can't keep up with a list of them. But anyway, welcome, listeners. It's great to have you back with us. We are going to be looking at the human predicament. As we would say, uh, as we look at evil, we look at suffering, we look at those things in the world, and we try to understand how that mm. sits in our worldview. Where do you want to start, Matt? Well, this this brings us um, to, I guess, the the element of of the. In, in a sense, is we're we're entering into the story now. We've previously. Uh, we've discussed probably what is more of a kind of biblical philosophical framework. Um, you know that we've talked about those dimensions of reality, and I know that uh, sounds a little esoteric, but you know we've done our best to to sort of illustrate that because of the way that our culture sort of flattened reality out, has a very flat view of reality. But actually, now we want to enter something more dynamic because this is another very important aspect of the biblical worldview: is that it's a moving story, and and this. With a lot of questions that come up, particularly questions about evil uh, that vex a lot of people, a lot of those questions um, uh, cannot really be adequately answered unless we understand the story. It's it's a little bit like uh, it's it almost for me in thinking about these sorts of questions it was a bit like a bit of a Copernican revolution. Now, you know, uh, up until the time of uh, you know Copernicus, uh, you know, they couldn't. The, the calculations in terms of the orbital path of the of the planets just never made sense. They 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 couldn't, you know, the sums just never quite added up. Mm. Uh, and then and then they realised, and this is the Copernican revolution. You know, Copernicus's uh, discovery was that well, actually, but the Earth, the point from which we are observing the stars is a moving point. Mm. You know, the earth is actually rotating on its axes and actually the earth itself is in orbit around the sun. Right. Mm. And so, you know, that perspective and the movement of the earth that that had to be taken into consideration because we're not just at, we're not observing the planets from a, from a static uh, point of view or actually a moving, a moving object. So, so, and, and, and I think this is a little similar to what an understanding of the movement of the biblical narrative offers us to some, in terms of some of these questions, because we're actually m- moving somewhere. We're, we're not just in a static ideal. So, well, we know we're not, a, if you look at the world, we're not in a static ideal circumstance. Um, it's actually, it's the idea of history that we now have uh, sort of begins with scripture begins with an I- this idea of linear history. Mm. Uh, most ancient peoples thought about 
uh, history in a cyclical Cyclical, sense. In fact, lots of uh, other cultures uh, that tend to do that as well. Although now with the universal dating system and everything like that, now we do all tend to see history as linear. But that wasn't always the case. And the idea of linear history it comes from this idea that there's an overarching story or what you would refer to as a meta narrative. Mm-hmm. So we're in the midst of a story and it's moving somewhere. It's moving towards a goal. Now that story got sort of hijacked in the enlightenment and it became a story of humanistic progress. So the biblical story sort of got hijacked, mm-hmm. you know, and, and as I said, yeah, it became the story of progress. So, and, and in fact, that's, that's a story. A lot of people don't probably think about the story that they think that they're in, but everyone in our culture, they actually do believe they're in the midst of a story. And most people uh, even sort of implicitly believe we're in a story of essentially humanistic progress. Now, that story has been in the last, you know, 30 or so years has got been skewed a bit with the story, particularly with uh, facing things like climate change and uh, because now it lo- it's undermined the story of humanistic progress. Mm. That's something that we can talk uh, talk about down uh, down the track a bit. But uh, you know, that's a sort of healthy development because there's this. There was always this sense. It's getting you better. know, as human, it's yeah, better. it's yeah. getting better. It's mm. getting better. You know, and and we're gonna we're gonna be more civilized and more you know, more humane and more and 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 in a sense, there are a number of things that have gotten better. So uh, the famous expression expression of this more most recent expression is um, the philosopher Stephen Pinker wrote a book called Enlightenment Now, and he argues for the principles of the Enlightenment, rule of reason. He's a classic humanist, you know, uh, atheistic humanist. And we are going to solve all our own problems. And, and it's it's been getting better and it's going to keep getting better, right? We'll come, even with climate change, we'll come up with a solution for all of these things, right? And, you know, people love to believe that sort of stuff because, you know, well, what else is there? What what other, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to face a future in a pe- completely pessimistic yeah. way. Well, there is another story, and and what what we want to do uh, here is actually to remind uh, our listeners of that big overarching story, and and this is not just going to be a sort of sort of basic tell, tell the story of the Bible. I actually, I do want to uh, underscore uh, some of the real implications for our worldview of the key elements of this story and particularly to understanding our human predicament now That's and great. what the future oh. of that is. So just before you go into that, I yeah. think. I just want to underline how important I think that is, mm. that that narrative, the story that sits behind it, because so often in terms of the problem of evil, it's probably most out there in the in the apologetics land would, would frame up the problem of evil as perhaps the biggest dilemma facing, yeah, that's right. facing Christians. Yeah. Um, and, and I think atheists see it as almost like the, the ticket to win every argument because yeah. we view everything through more of a static view of in, from our own rationality of being mm. able to kind of reason yeah. Yeah. ultimately i guess from a human perspective yeah. as well if i see evil in the world i feel i, I i'm obligated to try to fix it or do something yeah. about it yeah and and then you know we look at we transfer that then to well, what should God do? Yeah, God should right. fix up all the evil in the world. And if I just ignore evil, if I walk down the street and someone's lying there on the ground, mm. 
uh, in pain and suffering and mm. I could actually step in and do something to fix that situation, yeah. for me to walk on by and just mm. ignore it would yeah. actually make me yeah. evil yeah. because of that particular point yeah. in time and making that decision. If we transfer that to God, yeah. what you could certainly argue that that's what God that's does right. yeah. all the time. He sees incredible evil and suffering all throughout history, and yet God seemingly just goes, well, and there's all these philosophical arguments and apologetics arguments offered up to try to explain why God would behave that way. But ultimately, you can kind of see how atheists yeah. or even you know Christians would struggle with it as well and arrive at the conclusion and say, well... It's, it would be evil for me to behave that way. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it must be evil for God to behave that way. And I think this is where, before you get into the story, just to really underline it, because I think yeah, this good. is the key it's good. to understand that. You can't view it from our perspective. It's not a static point in time. Yeah. It's a much bigger That's thing. Right. So, yeah, so that it's, it's very true. That doesn't add up. And that is the main positive argument from the side of atheists mm-hmm. because they can't really offer a positive argument to, to, to say God doesn't exist, in, you know. Uh, but uh, in, in any other sense, what they have to try and show is that our, our theism is incoherent, is internally incoherent, right? Yep. And they use the problem of evil mm-hmm. to argue this. But this is a little bit like uh, the pre-Copernican astronomers doing the calculations and it not adding up, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, it's beca- and again, there's a sort of Copernican revolution to happen here that to recognize actually we're not in, on a static, we're not sitting at a static point, we're moving. And it's, it's the story... It's the story that is the key to understanding that. So, uh, you know, if you're listening and you think, man, I've always wondered that just doesn't make sense to me. What, what I think an understanding the biblical story is going to do is going to, is going to essentially affect a kind of Copernican revolution. It's going to help you understand this, mm. in, you know, in a really important way. Right. But it's also, it's also going to point forward to, to what our part and how we, I mean, this is so, pra- this is actually really practical. Yeah, right. Cause one of the things that there's that problem, but there's also the problem hand in hand with that is this problem that the story, the, the kind of, modern story of of our culture does seep into us as well mm. you know so we feel like things things should be getting better and we'll come up with the solutions and 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 we can start thinking like that as well we can really buy into that story and when it doesn't work out or when there isn't the progress that we would expect from that sort of enculturation then we start shaking our fist at god mm. but that's a different story and mm. and this is one of the one of the key problems is that we live in the wrong story. I, I can't overstate how important this is, but also this is, I, I, in my experience, in my discussions with, with people, with people from church, even students, theological students, actually the problem of living in the wrong story uh, is a pervasive, quite a pervasive problem. And so... And, and really, Matt, just what you're saying there, when we live in the wrong story, what we're saying is that's your perspective. You know, that's exactly yeah, what yeah, we're that's trying right. to talk yeah. about here. That's your worldview. That's yeah. the story. When we use the term story, we're talking about the worldview in which you look at mm. everything. You know? Yeah. So we have to go back. Uh, and in a sense, in Genesis chapters 1 to 3 are the other real kind of worldview chapters uh, of the Bible. And the thing... The thing that chapter one emphasizes is perfect order. And I'm going to do really broad brushstrokes here. 
uh, is this idea of perfect order. I mean, you know, Genesis 1 expresses that not only in the content, in, in the content, in the sense that, you know, you've got these actions, it's, uh, you've got these actions of separating and naming and, you know, God brings things into being by his word. So he calls things into being. So there's this sense of absolute authority. It's that it's the direct expression of God's will that these things are. But it's not just that they are, it's the fact that they are then ordered in a certain way. It's the ordering of those things, right? And at the end of each day, you know, God saw that it was good. You get that re- that statement repeated seven times. Now, numbers are very important in Genesis, uh, Genesis 1. And But the goodness is in the order uh, in, in the order of things. So you get these actions of separating, naming, the repetition of line according to their kinds, according to their kinds, according to their kinds, right? So everything is, it's, it expresses order. Now, that's because the, ver- the first, you know, verse in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and, and it talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the deep, the waters, the watery. And, and in ancient Near Eastern, it's appealing to an ancient Near Eastern, uh, idea of a of a sort of primeval chaos, like a, a an, an original chaotic sort of situation, and it's not necessarily buying into that. It's essentially showing because it's not it's not evil, but it's formless and without void. It's unfinished. So, so, so we have an insight into a process here. But it's a the, there's a theological the way that this process is expressed has enormous theological significance, because what we see God doing is. Speaking into a situation as formless and void, and filling it with with goodness, and that goodness is characterized by order. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's that that's in in the content. So and and it's you know you get that not only with the content but also the form of the text. And this is something that's been under appreciated in all these ridiculous debates over whether the Bible and science, you know, Bible mm-hmm. and science and all mm-hmm. of that. I say ridiculous debates because I. Because often they overlook, I think, the art of the text, if, if I can speak that mm. way. Um, often people f- get nervous about that because they think if there's art and art to the t- the mm. art can't be right mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or can't be true. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, 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 it's it's true, but it's expressed in a certain way. Something mm-hmm. very mysterious, something mm. that's beyond anything that we can conceive. Ultimately, mm. Mm. Uh, you know, he, the, the, you know, it's not trying to do. Cosmology as such. Mm. This is this is incredibly theological. It's this elevated prose that expresses something not only in the content, but as I said, in the form, right? So in so you get ten times it says, and God said, ten times. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, think of the ten commandments. You know, it's like mm-hmm. God says ten, you know, and then God saw that it was good seven times. Uh, seven is the number of perfection. Uh, God creates and God makes. There, there are two different words that are used. They are used f- five times each mm-hmm. to equal ten. Mm-hmm. I could go on, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, things created according to their their kinds. I think that's a seven, seven times, times. Uh, seven times that one as well. So there's this incredible symmetry to this mm-hmm. to this text. It's Genesis one is one of the most um, to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. It's staggering in, in how amazing this this text is mm. in terms of how it's put together. But it's this idea of perfect order. Now, this is important because, and, and we've flagged this idea before, that the nature of evil, because the question is asked, how does evil exist? If, if God created everything in the universe, hasn't God then cre- essentially created evil, right? This is one yep. of the problems. The, yep. It's like a logical problem that they bring forth. Mm-hmm. But 
but if you, once you understand things in terms of that idea of order, God bringing perfect order, uh, and, and this was Augustine's insight uh, to essentially defining evil, he defined it as a disordering. So the, so the things that everything is good, but th- those good things can be disordered, mm. right? Uh, and well, we've we've talked about this in yeah, other episodes. That's when right. we're talking about the the axis, you know, yeah. like from the sacred to the profane. Yeah, is like how can the profane exist when there's you know did God create profanity and all yeah. that? And, yeah. But that, and also the idea of order as well. Ultimately, sacredness. Order is kind of established in that, in yeah. terms of what God declared. Yeah, was perfect is, harmony, is, and that's right. Yeah. Sac- it's it's, and as you say, like right from the beginning, you know, you could get into all the scientific, which is Genesis, trying to describe a scientific process and cosmology. Yeah. I just don't think we can ever answer those questions satisfactorily. But the key point of Genesis is mm. the order. Yeah, that's right. You, you don't want to miss the ordering because the ordering. As we've talked about in all the other episodes mm. we've done on this, mm. ties back into almost understanding what is sacred and what isn't sacred. That's right. The separation of, you know, this is sacred and this is not sacred, which ultimately leads to the profane, which is when you yeah. kind of desecrate yeah. what, which, or I guess another way of saying it is creating the disorder. Yeah. And, and so you, you've essentially got, I mean, the way that Augustine describes it is, is like a hierarchy of goods, mm. you know. It's 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 part of this order, you know. Mm. And I think that's that's a really important insight because, of course, this is the first. You know, it's, we're talking about the first three chapters of the Pentateuch or the Torah, the five books of the mm. the first five books of the Bible, which are all about establishing an order for the life of God's people it's re or you know it's bringing it's it's bringing God's order back to the life of the people that's what torah is essentially all about okay and so you got this you know you got this first your first chapter and it, it, you know even it, with those five books there's an amazing order to that as well and and I could talk about uh, the you know some of the literary structure about that but that's beside the point now so what essentially happens in uh, genesis chapter 3 is that that order gets flipped upside down. This is the significance of uh, where you get essentially the serpent that is the lowest of all the creatures, in a sense, thinking about this hierarchy, right? Mm. And because, again, you know, we think of hierarchy. We think of hierarchy as as a bad, Mm. you know, we think of tyranny and all of that. Mm. But, again, it's so difficult for us to think about these ideas mm. in a perfect world because because yep. they've all been corrupted they've all been corrupted everything's been corrupted right yeah. so even even using this sort of language is difficult because its associations are always with its cor- the corrupt forms of yes. those things okay but yep. but in 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 God's economy there's this hier- this hierarchy right human beings were created children of God then this is this is a very important part of this human beings are created children of God they are put in charge in a sense. They, 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 they're bearing God's image. I mean, you know, we're like, and this is an illustration that Jesus uses, you know, we're, we're like branches out of the vine, out, out of a, we grow out of God in this sense. We are, we are, our very identity is our connection with God mm-hmm. uh, in this very intimate way. So to be created in God's image is another way of saying we are God's children. Mm-hmm. And we we bear his glory and his you know it's it's mm. a beautiful um, image there. But the important thing is that we're put in charge. 
So human beings, in a sense, are responsible for maintaining this order. We are part of the order, but we're also the keystone species, in, in, to use a, a sort of ecological yep. term, right? Mm-hmm. We are a keystone species. Now, a keystone species is in, in ecology is one uh, on, upon which everything else is quite dependent, you know? So if the key and the keystone is this idea in an arch, you know, there's that triangular shaped stone at the top of an arch mm. that, that holds everything else in place. So if you pull the keystone out, everything else falls in a pile. Mm. Uh, and so what you see there is essentially um, human beings are this key, keystone species. Uh, we are there to keep the harmony and to be stewards of God's order. So God sa- says to humanity, fill the earth and subdue it. And subduing, again, there's another word that we think we think through a sort of corrupted lens because that means exploit, right? Like it's, a, oppression. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it, it does not mean exploitation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and uh, lots of, you know, ecologists say, oh, well, you know, um, you know the, the sort of license to exploit the world mm-hmm. comes from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And again, it's no, no, it's it's the exact opposite, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because subduing the earth does not mean does not mean exploit. It it, it is defined by its context, and the context is Genesis chapter one, right? Mm-hmm. And it's about order, order. subdue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what God does: is that He subdues the chaos. That's yeah. the defin very definition of that word is given in the context of chapter one. Because remember, we are created in God's image. We are to be in his likeness mm-hmm. and we're to do like God right. does, right? And, and and I guess it's like with ourselves, we need to become the image that God created us to mm. be. Yeah. And in the same way, there's an order, there's a there's natural order in, in, in how things are created. Yeah. Subduing the earth in creation is is about is is giving it the potential to That's become right. yeah, it was created the identity that yeah. God where it sits, its place. Yeah, that's its right. Its order, so that it becomes what God wanted yeah, it that's to right. be. As yeah. opposed to exploiting it. Yes. Correct. For yes. our benefit. Yes. Yeah. We're growing it for His. to be to be yeah. what God wanted it to be. Yeah, not what right. we wanted it to be. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, this is a really important idea that that, that idea of subduing the earth mm-hmm. is about that very much about that that order. It's it's you know, we be, we reflect God's likeness as we do like God does. And the subduing the earth uh, and maintaining that order in our lives and in in our, our environment is a very very important part of that. the The empowerment is another very important principle. Now, this is probably the the key thing to understanding what goes wrong, the nature of what goes wrong. And so, I uh, this needs to be emphasised. We were empowered. Now, it says in Romans eleven twenty nine, the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. Right. God is an empowering God. He empowers us. He empowered human beings in his likeness to rule over the world. Now, we're created in his likeness, so we have these personal capacities. We have the capacity for choice and for relationship. Remember, we were created to be God's children. And so in order to be able to genuinely have relationships, that's why God doesn't just create robots. Uh, We're not just biological organisms that automatically do certain things the highest and, and most valued thing in all of scripture as you see is uh is the ability to love love mm-hmm. the lord your god with all your heart mind and soul and strength 
love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in order to love, you actually need to make a choice. It's, mm-hmm. There has to be an element of freedom uh, of choice there. So on the one hand, we are created with this freedom of choice because we're we're created for a relationship. On the other hand, we're given you know, this authority over this realm. The world, in a sense, is given to human beings uh, for us to rule over. It's our home uh, and where we're put in charge. So in a sense, we are the prince, to use a biblical t- term, we are the princes of this world. I don't no, get rid yep. of the gender uh, mm-hmm. um, associations of that word. The reason why I use this word is because, do you recall, mm. Jesus talks about the prince of this world? Yeah. Do, do you know, who mm-hmm. is he talking about? Sorry, He's talking about Satan. Mm-hmm. But hang on a minute. How did he become the prince of the world? <laughs> because yeah. because at that mm. actually in Genesis 1, that's us. Like yeah. we are, you know, God is the king, but we are the princes of this world, right? We're, we're in charge of the world. So, so there's, there's, that's a hint of what's coming up in the story in a sense uh, to sort of flag that. So, so the authority is really important because uh, let's just think through the, the implications of this authority. Authority means that what we choose happens. And remember, God is committed now to our empowerment. And even if we get it wrong, as it says in Romans eleven twenty nine, the gifts of God, gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. It means he doesn't take it back, right? Mm-hmm. God doesn't disempower. Mm-hmm. So empowerment means that, like, if I empower you to do, a, to do something, well, and you make a mess of it, well, you're, you're in charge. You need to... It's it's up mm. to you really to to clean it up or or to you know like I'm yeah. not or, or I'm not going to then step in and say oh let me take a push you aside well that's not empowerment that's not empowerment yeah. right yeah. it's uh, taking it off you again now I mean don't try not to jump forward into the story uh, too much but yeah. but that is a very very important idea mm. because essentially God is committed absolutely committed himself mm-hmm. to allowing whatever consequences we choose, because we're mm-hmm. in charge, right? And we're going to make choices. God is committing himself to letting the flow, letting consequences flow from our choices. But we need to feel the consequences. Imagine if God stepped Fixed in and, everything. and yeah. patched. We wouldn't even, I mean, what value? What, yeah, exactly. what, where would we put sin? Like, yeah. Would we even care about sin yeah. anymore? We wouldn't even have any concept of sin because... With every choice, it just gets fixed up. Yeah, that's right. Where you go back to the Old Testament, um, how they treated sin. I mean, yeah. we, we, if we if we if we handled that the same way today, we'd be bringing animals down the down in, into the auditorium here, yeah, uh, into the church <laughs> and slaughtering them up the mm. up on the on. The, imagine applying that to a modern context, you know. And it, we have lost. It's so easy to to, to lose the, the severity. Mm. And consequences of sin. Yeah. So I think no matter how much suffering and evil, when we give up that responsibility that that we have, and the consequences flow from it, no matter how bad, God still allows that. Well, he, he does, but he, but here's the key thing: mm. he is doing something about it. Yep. But he's doing something about it in such a way as to not compromise his original commitment. Because remember, he's committed himself to empowering human beings, right? Yeah. So uh, God is not just going to then undercut that authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if if he is to do something, either human beings need to fix up their mess, but actually that becomes in a way impossible because the mess just becomes so mm-hmm. irreversible. So then you got – so it's almost like uh, by God's commitment, only human beings – It's it's – He's committed 
to that being a human prerogative. Yeah. This this realm. Mm-hmm. So so human beings are the ones. It's for them to fix it up, and yet it's impossible for them to fix up. This is the dilemma uh-huh. uh, of the text. So essentially, if it's going to be fixed up, like only God can do it, but you, God would have to become human. In order to do, not that would God ever do such a thing. Well, that's where well, I'm skipping ahead. You're getting yeah. too far uh, in the ahead. Story. Yeah, too far. Ahead. <laughs> I'm skipping it's ahead. A sp- spoiler alert. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, as you know, Paul says, as in Adam all died, yeah. so in Christ. You know, as in mm-hmm. one man, and then you know, this the first man and the se- first and second Adam. I mean, this, yeah. this, all of this theology that that we see in the New Testament has this narrative framework. Right, it's a narrative frame. We can think yeah. too abstractly about this yeah. theology, but Paul is always referring to the story, and he's saying. This is why only Jesus could do this, the, the one who was fully God yeah. and fully human. There's a really good reason why it had to be Jesus and why it can only be him. Mm. So, but that's, that's uh, you know, that's giving away the end of the story. Yeah. So thanks uh, for joining us. And, uh, we'll- <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, but, but here's the, so, so that principle of empowerment is really important as we go on to, to, to think about. Yeah. The human predicament, right? Okay. Yeah, because this kind of this kind of answers the question to some degree, and we we've got a bit more to do to answer it. The C.S. Yeah. Lewis, I think, phrased it well. I've got it written down here because I, I knew I misquoted, him, but he he puts this argument: if God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy, and if God were almighty, uh, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy; therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. You know, and this is the argument that. Yeah, if God is an all-loving God and an well, Almighty God, and well, a he, he's God. Art, he's articulating the argument the argument against uh, exactly. theism. There. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, and of course, he's a Christian, so yes, and 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 he's going to think very much in terms of the story. That's right. Because if you just put it in a logical, a static, logical form, it's like, yeah, that that doesn't mm-hmm. all fit together. But if you, you know, again, this is the Copernican thing. Mm-hmm. If yes. you if you consider that no, but it's not static. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a you know we're moving here, mm-hmm. and it's moving somewhere. Then that that is going to help us. Yep. Just before you move on, I reckon what we what we're getting to, and I know we're getting to it later. But you know, you often hear people saying, "Oh, I can deal with the God thing," but the whole Jesus thing, it's like yeah, that exactly. really speaks yeah. strongly to yeah. that mm. to that particular yeah. perspective yeah. that people I, come. I, th- I think too that the um, if I was God, then I would have intervened. If I saw evil, I and this goes back to what I said yeah. at the start. We, we look at, and this is the danger of looking at it from our perspective, from our static mm. um, po- reference point, is that if I was God, I wouldn't walk past the person who's suffering. I would try to intervene and fix the situation up. But God solves the problem. He doesn't want to take away our empowerment. He mm. wants us to remain empowered. He wants us to feel the impact of our decisions and choices, no matter how yeah. horrific, but he still has to solve the problem. Yeah. And and this is where this is you know, that's Yeah, and, and the other problem, and this goes back to our, our former episodes, you know, because you talk about walking past per they're they're in pain, that's a bad thing. And yeah, but but we're operating not just on a pleasure pain axis. Yes. There's a there's an axis of sanctification, holiness and, and, and so God's not just taking things on a on a trajectory from pain to pleasure mm. he's a, it's actually the vertical axis that he's interested mm-hmm. in so that adds you know that that can that means that even pain can have this in in within the 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 story okay mm. uh can be a kind of have this elevating effect but we're, we're, we're jumping yep. and i'm not saying that's not an answer to it and, and, and no. because in the story actually one of the beauty beauty uh, things that's beautiful about the story is that 
you know, we don't have to find reasons for things. Like, it's, I shouldn't say it's a beautiful thing, but it's, it's, mm. it's just what the story provides is the ability to validate the fact that it's just bad, right? It's yeah. just bad. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, something's happening in the world. And, and, and I think what you say about the importance of Jesus in all of this is, is just so significant because we can only really understand Jesus in the story, right? Mm. You know, and, and that's the attitude that often people have is like, well, what, what, you know, why can we just believe in God and all the Jesus stuff and dying on a cross for our sins? And, you know, that, that I mean, atheists love just paying out on that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that just mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that God would come and die on it. Well, yes, in that pure abstract sense, uh, but actually in the story, mm-hmm. it is the fulfillment. It's the perfect fulfillment mm-hmm. of the story, right? And so yeah. if, you, if you're in the story, it, 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 makes, it makes sense. Jesus, you know, comes as the culmination of the story. That, so that's important for understanding Jesus. Mm-hmm. But let's go back to, <laughs> yep. let's go back going. To, uh, to the beginning of the story. Because what we have uh, in Genesis chapter 3 is, is an inversion of that order. So we've mm-hmm. talked about order. And this is expressed uh, very purposefully in the, in the text in the way that uh, we have the lowest of all creatures, as I began to say before. We have the lowest of all creatures essentially uh, taking authority over the highest of all the creatures. So you get this flipping up uh, of, uh, of everything. Now, the context for that is the two trees, Mm. and the two trees essentially has this – it relates to that – the aspect of humanity, of this idea of them having a choice, being given a choice. Now, um, even now, we have – God uses physical mechanisms to externalize and make very clear a choice. So we we have baptism and communion in, in the Old Testament. They had sacrifice. The whole temple system was physical physical objects that were used to uh, sort of have this sacramental significance in in, in the sense of um, they become uh, choice-making mechanisms, Mm -hmm. you know. By doing those physical things, those physical objects became ways of declaring a choice, essentially, you know. Same with when when we take communion in the bread and the cup. It's a way of signify, physical signification uh, of a choice. Now, the two trees uh, in Genesis chapter 2 have this kind of role, right? There's the tree of life, eternal life. This, mm-hmm. is, uh, this is what God wants for us. <clears throat> but then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why a tree of knowledge of good and evil? Well, there's this original innocence in humanity that we're so inside the perfect order that there's no sense of what – that there's anything else, right? But mm-hmm. God knows God knows that there is a possibility of something else, mm-hmm. but we don't yet, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the knowledge of good and evil is essentially us stepping outside of that imminent, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that being inside that goodness, uh, inside that perfect order. It's almost like an attempt to step outside of that and be like God, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. and that's that's what's brought out in the text. That because mm-hmm. when Satan, in the form of the serpent, comes and he and again, it's interesting because remember the ten times and God said and God said and God said, mm-hmm. and yet when Satan comes and this is the inversion of everything. He uh, did what, did God really yeah, say that? that? Mm. Yeah. That's the thing that he calls in. Did God really say? Mm-hmm. So he's 
that's the beginning of the inversion. It's the deception, right? I remember the, remember the first thing is let there be light, and deception is is mm. is understood as a sort of kind of darkness. That, yeah. that and so this is deception is essentially also a form of chaos. He's going to sow in chaos. I mean, the interesting thing, the background to this as well, is that the um, you know the god associated with the watery chaos in uh, ancient Mesopotamia is this uh, this god, uh, this serpent god. That's associated with uh, with the sort of watery chaos, and so it's interesting mm. that the connection of the serpent god and the you know and the watery chaos, you know, the realm of death, and mm-hmm. so 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 the the text is drawing on familiar imagery as well, mm-hmm. and in, you know imbuing that with with this sort of extra mm-hmm. significance, and so uh, so did God really say? And then he and, and then you know Satan says, but God knows. That when you eat of the tree of knowledge, you'll be like God. Yeah. The irony is there mm-hmm. that they were created already in God's likeness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's essentially deception, a little bit like evil, is a disordering of God's hierarchy of goods. Deception is a disordering of truth. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, deception contains the truth. truth. It's just twisted and sort of disordered truth in a way. This, you know, this is why, in order to be deceived, there has to be something intuitively believable mm-hmm. about the deception. Otherwise, it's not mm. deceiving, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm. there has to be some element of truth yes. in it, but twisted and distorted mm-hmm. for me to get drawn into that. And this is essentially, um, you know, Satan is taking something true, just twisting it a mm-hmm. little bit, and and that becomes uh, the temptation. And so what, you know, what you get then is, so, um, you know, Adam and Eve yield to this, uh, yield to this temptation. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's interesting that that was there right from the start, that there was the two trees. That it's almost like part of the design is of the way that God's built us in the world is that there's always a choice. We always have to yeah, keep and it's making a choice, a choice between what belongs to God. This is me. This is the tree yeah. of knowledge of good and evil. This is the divine prerogative, but I'm giving you eternal life, right? Yeah. So eat from the tree of life, but let me be God. It's you know, but they have to they step over that. So essentially. so creating that tree that kind of leads us away from God. That that choice is really important in yeah. in terms of how God relates That's to right. us. That there's always. There's always an ability, an exit door in in the in the relationship that we can we we can choose to walk away. To, uh, otherwise, to take, it isn't a relationship. That's right. It? Yeah, and, and that's that's there, communicated really strongly right yeah. from the start. It's one of the kind of key foundational pillars of how yeah. God built the world. That's that's fundamental yeah. into in, into how we relate to the world and and, and to that's God. Right. Hmm. And 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 essentially, you know. Recognizing God's, you know, recognizing the divine prerogative is a crucial element of worship. Well, we were created for worship is the other thing that structure of of Genesis one, you know, the sort of middle point of the Genesis is, is the days and the seasons, which which are associated for a Jewish audience with worship, right? Sacred seasons. That's right at the center. Mm-hmm. Remember, in this form of literature, what whatever's in the center is the most mm-hmm. important thing, right? Mm-hmm. So the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16 is right at the center of the Pentateuch, you know. So so worship is a key idea there. We're created for worship, and worship means recognizing that divine – recognizes the divine prerogative. 
and doesn't try to step over, mm-hmm. you know, into that. So, so the temptation, you know, they've stepped over that. And, and essentially, by doing that, they've essentially joined whatever is going on there with, with Satan. And, and, I mean, you know, we're not given much explanation about this. You almost sense they're, you know, why aren't we told more about who, who on earth is this serpent? Like, where did he come? What's that all about? But we've got to realize, actually, that in the ancient world, they believed in the existence of spiritual beings, evil spiritual beings. And, and they believed that there was this kind of struggle, kind of spiritual struggle out there. And the, and the Bible doesn't, it, it corrects significant elements of that. But it validates the fact that, yes, actually there are spiritual beings yeah. out there. And it seems to assume that there's this understanding that there's this chaos mm. in the spiritual world. and But we're not given a lot of explanation. But if you put together, you know, everything that, that we're told, you know, in the Bible, you get this sense that there's actually a spiritual rebellion happening. Mm. And in a sense, human beings seem to be getting drawn into a mm-hmm. spiritual rebellion. Now, I mean, you know, people like, uh, you know, Milton, the famous uh, poem, John Milton, Paradise Lost, tries to fill in all the gaps. He tries to tell the story of, you know, the fall of Satan from heaven. And, you know, because because there are texts in the Bible that seem to allude to a fall of Satan from heaven. There seems, mm-hmm. to, be a st- there, there seems to be a story behind this that, that we're not, really aware of now, but we can piece it together mm-hmm. uh, in w- with enough to recognize that there's some kind of uh, fall of some kind of fall of angels or, you know, fallen angels or, or there's some kind of spiritual rebellion that happens in the spiritual realm. Mm. But that makes sense. We know that that's how God made us in the world to mm. have that choice and ability mm. to rebel if we wanted to. It makes sense that that will always exist yeah even in heaven otherwise yeah. we'll, we'll always be at, otherwise we're back to the problem of we just become robots incapable of making that choice i don't want to write because i don't think we really know how that would work but mm. there has to be you would think there'd be some sort of ability to do that hence we would see in the spiritual world that there's fallen angels and and so yeah. on that that's right because we're not the only we're not the only beings yeah. with choice and you know there are spiritual beings, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, like I know, you know, again, you know, the flat worldview, the, the flatlanders, as we've, you know, we'll say, oh, that's a load of nonsense and spirits and all of that's what a load of nonsense. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know, human beings have always had this sense of this, and and just to just to, you know, to poo-poo that, like, mm-hmm. off, I just think that's really arrogant mm-hmm. to because. You know, it's essentially what what has happened in our times is shutting down of this other aspect of reality that human beings have always intuited. You know, even now you go to traditional cultures, and there's this very real sense of a spiritual world, and 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 it's often a, a bad experience. Uh, but you know, th- this 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 has always been human beings have always sort of recognised this aspect of of reality. So so I think I think it's a bit arrogant just to shut all that out and say, it's oh, well, it's arrogant. a load of nonsense. I think because and we're not talking about fairies and goblins. No, no, I, mean, no. I know it's taken on mythological, yeah. and it did in the ancient world as mm-hmm. well. It was given a mythological guise. But the reality behind that, mm. uh, it, I think it's really arrogant to just to dismiss the reality behind it's, that. It's, it's arrogant and it's really illogical because, it, you know, <clears throat> 
I think we've we said in the, an earlier episode, you know, we've got we live in the four dimensions. But it's arrogant to think that just because we only perceive four dimensions, three dimensions. To me, yeah. it's yeah. highly, highly, highly unlikely that that's it. Yeah, that's just because that's just what we see. I mean, yeah. I think there's even when we look at a spirit and soul and so on, it's like that's almost like an extension of us into the fifth, sixth, seventh dimension, whatever they happen to be. It's completely incomprehensible to yeah. us. So because it's incomprehensible. We think that oh well, it mustn't mustn't exist. But that to me is just so so arrogant and so irrational to just reject it just because I can't perceive it. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's come back though to if I can to the garden, you know, because yeah. I think this kind of speaks into the topic we're kind of going on quite well, obviously significantly. You know, Adam and Eve, there was innocence. You know, um, mm. they walked in the garden naked. Mm. Essentially, by making a choice and becoming aware of choice in a sense mm. then then comes accountability yeah that's right yeah. you know so there is when you're totally trusting god so the question was really do you trust god mm, and, yeah, and if right. you trust god you don't need to ask those questions because it doesn't matter but if you don't trust god then and trust is a relational thing, trust is a relational yeah. thing then comes accountability and that accountability is the price of the yeah. choice you make is the cost right. of the choice you make. And yeah. so even you see Jesus, you know, we've been in our other podcast been talking through John, where where he says, Now that you know, you're accountable. Yeah. Because you now know. That's right. Similar thing going on here. You yeah, know? absolutely. But, but it's yeah. interesting too, because that was when God made the world, I don't think how we ended up was any surprise to him. You know, how the evil that came into the world and and what Jesus the answer to that and mm. so on. Don't want to give the ending away. Um, but <laughs> um, that, you know, it was no surprise. It was always part of the part of the plan. But it's interesting that he made the world perfect because it was perfect then, and yet there was still the serpent was in the garden, and we were still exposed to evil. Yeah, we, we, although we're not sure of the timeline here, and and remember, right. if if we're working with multi with with multiple dimensions. Potentially, if to okay. use that, whether that's the right way of speaking about it, you know, you, you're working potentially with a dimension that's not part of the space-time dimension. Yep. Mm. Uh, so, so you know, I mean, even that thing about you know, God knew that it would ha- all of that. That's us trying to understand, Linearly. I guess, the ways of God from within a space-time mm-hmm. framework, and yep. I, and I think that's problematic. And yep. same, you know, in in terms of what is happening in the spiritual world. Um, because this is an important feature of the text, but again, it's not. You know, it's like the serpent comes along, and and in our context, we're like, what, what, who, what? But they're not. I, they, you know, ancient the readers in the ancient world aren't. That's no surprise to them. Oh, this mm. is, you know, the serpent of of chaos, and you know, it's something about that guy, and mm. and uh, and he's construed in different ways. But you know, they they already recognise a spiritual world, like you know, world of spiritual evil, sort of behind that. You can, you know, there's something, there's something going on in the background, and and I think the fact that it's we're not told a lot about it, it it's actually let it's it's not that it's not relevant. It's important that we know that this is going on in the background, but we're not we're not. It's not that we don't have interaction of it, but but it's we're only told what we need to know in a sense. Uh, we're told what we need to know, and we need to know that this is going on in the background. Mm. Uh, and we're told how to win that spiritual battle, mm-hmm. um, but I'm jumping ahead, and and we'll you, you know we'll get to that. But, but but the only question in the garden was, do you trust God? 
Essentially, that yeah. was that was yeah. what was asked in this relationship, which is built on trust. Do you trust God? Yeah, and the answer was, well, no. And that's and I think that's important because it, when, you know when you get to the ministry of Jesus, it comes back to that question: yeah. Are you willing to trust God? Mm-hmm. What was he always looking for? He was looking for faith. What does it say in Luke chapter eighteen? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith, faith mm-hmm. uh, on the earth? Are you willing to trust God? And that's why you know yeah. begins with faith. You know, it's from faith to faith, as Paul says. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing in, in Genesis 3 then uh, is that you get this inversion. So, it, and, and this is why I refer to this spiritual rebellion, whatever's going on there, is that essentially human beings get drawn into that. As, so, so in, in order to tempt, in order to tempt in that way, these human beings, there already has to be this sort of rebellion. This that is, is already a part of a rebellion in mm-hmm. a sense that that seems to be going on, and so, you know, I mean, you sort of conjecture that human beings have been given, and again, this is a little conjectural. So, so let me, but but it maybe points to some of the possibilities here. If if there is a heavenly rebellion, couldn't God just destroy those angels? And you know, I mean, mm-hmm. why doesn't He just destroy them? Uh, now you could you could argue that about about human beings yeah. uh, as well, but what but one of the what happens here actually is that essentially Satan gets permission. It's like almost like human beings are sheltering a criminal mm. in a sense. They've been given yeah. charge of this realm. You know, if 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 I'm Satan, not wanting to be destroyed, oh, I'll get these guys to give me permission, mm-hmm. right? To because they're God's really put them in charge, right? And when God empowers, that's you know, so, and I I can get permission from them by getting them to join my rebellion. So in a yeah. sense, if I can get them to, because authority and responsibility, you refer to responsibility, yep. they're two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah. If I can get, if I can get. Uh, human beings to abdicate responsibility, basically I can get them to abdicate mm-hmm. in the same gesture, I can get them to abdicate yeah. authority, right? Yeah. Because what these first human beings should have done is, you know, uh, you know, Adam should have cast Satan out, essentially. Mm-hmm. Now I say that because when Jesus comes, he sh- he actually shows what the first Adam should have done. Yeah. You know, he's he's always casting Satan out, mm-hmm. isn't he? He's mm-hmm. always casting him out when he's tempted, yeah, right. and essentially mm-hmm. he, in in Matthew chapter four, yeah. he's tempted in the same way, yeah. right? If you are the son of God, mm-hmm. or did God really say? Because God That's had right. just said, "You are yes. my son, whom I loved." Mm-hmm. It's it's Genesis three repeated, right? Yeah. But, but Jesus gets it right. So, yes. uh, so God has declared over Jesus, "This is my son, whom I love." Satan comes along. Oh, what did God really say that you're? If you are, mm. then. Follow me, and I'll you know it's like yeah. I, I'll give you authority, and mm-hmm. and 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 I'll make you like God, and and I, you know it's yeah. the same exactly. temptations. And this is part of that moving story that you yeah. talked about at the yeah. start, because I guess when we were created, in fact, when all of creation, in terms of our universe, it was already created inside this fallen world that is already in existence, in in terms of you know like the. The spiritual, the fallen angel, that war. Maybe probably, not inside it, but it's 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 there. We, not inside again, we it, don't but really know what's it's going part on. of the story. Not yeah. inside it physically, but yeah. in terms of the story, there was already things. It didn't start. Yeah, did, it, it, the story didn't start with us. The story had likely already was well and truly. We know, again, you're thinking on a it's on space a, time. A, yeah, yeah. No. but <laughs> you're thinking but conceptually. On a temporal, con- yeah, yeah. but <laughs> conceptually though, 
we were injected into something, a bigger story yeah, yeah, that there's, was already playing out. There's a bigger out. reality, yeah, 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 even. And, and, and that, yeah, this again is that, you know, talking about these other dimensions of reality. Mm-hmm. So, so the interesting thing then in, with that responsibility, because the first thing that, that Adam and Eve do when they, you know, when they've done the wrong thing is they hide, right? right? And, they, and, and, and abdication of responsibility is what you see. So, so um, God comes and he calls Adam to, to account um, and again, in that in that biblical framework, there's this sense of this sense of headship. I know that's controversial, but certainly, in for Jewish readers, that would have made sense to them because you know uh, they would have seen Adam as sort of the spiritual head in that you know in that sense. He you know Adam blames the woman. He says, "Oh, the woman," and and he actually says, "The woman that you made, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. essentially, she made me do it, mm-hmm. right?" And then. He goes to, you know, goes to the woman, and the woman says, "The serpent that you made made me do it." So it's this, it's this abdication of yeah. of responsibility mm-hmm. that ends up with with Satan. But that's that depicts exactly what has happened. There's been an abdication of authority mm-hmm. to Satan. So in that, they've actually flipped everything, uh, uh, flipped everything mm-hmm. upside down. And so it, essentially, because they've joined Satan's rebellion, he becomes the prince of this world, essentially. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is that they are um, dis, they, they've stepped down from that by abdicating responsibility. They've stepped down from that position of authority. And now they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, n- now they no longer have, um, they, they, they still have authority, but the, but Satan is going to, um, you know, in in a sense, he's taken charge and he's going to use that authority in really terrible ways. So they they still have this amazing power of influence over each other in the world, mm. but parasitically, essentially, and this is what this because not just Satan, this world of evil, this demonic world that essentially acts as kind of parasites, spiritual parasites. They're going to be parasitic on human authority. Um, and uh, and they're going to use human authority to to bring back the chaos uh, because they hide in the chaos, right? Mm-hmm. That's the important. They take their, their shelter is in the chaos, right? This mm-hmm. is the and and you get this sense from you know from Revelation and and you know that Babylon, the world system is described as Babylon, and it's a haunt for demons and every impure spirit, right? It's this mm-hmm. idea that it becomes a place where evil spirits can take shelter, right? Mm-hmm. Because and who shelters them? We do. We shelter them, right? Yeah. Because we are. Essentially, give them, uh, yeah, give them authority. We we give them permission, right? Yeah. By by yielding to them, uh, we give them permission. They 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 don't they can't just outrightly, you know, take charge of mm-hmm. us. We have to actually yield uh, to them. So that I mean that explains a lot, and that's probably another another subject. Mm-hmm. But what what you get then is in the uh, in the curses. Um, which is chapter three, Genesis. Yeah, chapter which is three. Genesis chapter three. You get the outlining of the consequences, and this is really interesting because you know, take something like that authority uh, that essentially authority becomes tyranny, right? You know, so God says to the woman, because you've done this, you know, he, she, he says your desire will be for your husband. So you're going to be dependent. This dog eat dog world. Now you're not going to you're going to be dependent on him, and he's going to rule over you tyrannically. Now it's not saying that that's a good thing or no. that it's a punishment, right? No. This is consequences, right? Yes. This is the consequences. So it's actually a bad thing. The idea, you know, because again, this is, you know, people say, oh, the Bible, uh, you know, the Bible justifies mm. the subjugation of women. Mm. Uh, 
No, the Bible actually points to that as a direct result, a consequence mm-hmm. of the fall. It's mm-hmm. an evil, right? It's an evil yep. that flows yep. from uh, – it's, it's an explanation for that. It's not a justification mm-hmm. of that, right? Because prior to the fall, God created them. Equal, you know, yeah. she was his helper yeah, alongside absolutely. him from his side. And, and, I, and not I should to be say, above and not to be below. That's right. And yeah. the word helper there, by because mm. the, again, uh, you know, uh, critics will point to, ah, oh, so the woman's just his helper, helper. right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know that where that word is most often used it is Holy actually Spirit. of God? Mm. Yeah. Okay. It's actually used of God. Right. Uh, Psalm 46 God is my ever present help. helper, mm-hmm. He is my helper. Mm. So mm. it's not. It's no, actually it's not. not derogative. It's yeah. it's not derogative, and yeah. it's not about rank or or mm. you know, uh, there there is because remember, I mean, and this is the countercultural. This actually was countercultural in, in in the Bible that you don't have in in the surrounding cultures, is this idea that the man and the woman together as one flesh that they reflect the image of God. Oh, yeah. In other cultures, men reflect the image of God, and women are just kind of somewhere between animals. Or, or, I mean, it's terrible yeah. sorts of things yeah. that people yeah. believed. But what you have in Scripture is is the basis for this fundamental equality. I mean, such a mm-hmm. you know such a strong. Um, and beautiful idea of the two halves of the whole, and this is another topic. Yeah. But they're, they're essentially two halves of a whole, and and together they reflect the image of God, and you know, yeah. and they work together. So, so this is, so, so you get this authority becomes tyranny. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and and the other curses, pain enters the world. Yeah, because going on with the, with the curses, man, just to keep. Yeah, that's on right. Track so, there, so so nature then vies against you know because he yeah. says by the. You know that the land will yield thought. You know thorns and thistles, and mm-hmm. and and of course in a you know in their in their world, you know like look think about the the box thorn we've got out. I mean I've seen fields covered with box thorn. That stuff is like mm. demonic stuff. <laughs> have you ever have you ever been pricked with box? It's yeah, just yeah, terrible, yeah. and it's so difficult to remove, right? Mm. And it's a play. It just covers the fields, and they are unusable, right? Mm-hmm. And and so it's takes over everything. This is. You know, it's so it's actually declaring that that this disorder is going to cause certain things to happen in nature that 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 the the natural world is not going to yield for you as it was in a in the, in the perfect world. Mm-hmm. It would easily yield up all of your needs, but now it's going to vie against you. Now mm-hmm. the natural world, uh, because you have fallen out with God, therefore you're going to fall out with each other, mm-hmm. and you're going to f- and, and you're going to. Uh, fall out with the natural world. So now the natural world is going to become your enemy. Mm-hmm. And that's because we chose to trust yeah. Satan instead of God. Yeah, that's right. And, and, it, and it goes back to that. It's all relational. You know, it's, mm-hmm. And so, you know, aren't we now living ever, you know, we're more than ever conscious of the fact that we, we now are living, you know, and we're facing serious consequences of having ruined our environment. You know the 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 perfect balance in our you know atmosphere and you know and I mean this stuff rings true. This is there's 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 something here that I think speaks powerfully to our our situation uh, right now. So you get this. What we have after Genesis chapter three is this increasingly chaotic world. First, you, the first thing that you see in Genesis chapter four is the first murder. Cain kills Abel. Mm. Jealousy, mm. right? Man, uh, now that is, uh, and and we'll explore this in, in the next episode. We'll explore this much more. Um, 
But what you see in the next 11 chapters is this gradual spreading of of sin. It's like this plague. It's like a weed. It's like a disease that spreads throughout uh, throughout humanity. You know, so it begins with these uh, with these, and and I'm you know I'm fine with a real Adam and Eve. I absolutely believe that it had to start somewhere with oh, yeah. actual people, right? Because mm-hmm. we're talking, you know, yeah. and and uh, but it spreads throughout all of all of humanity, and um, uh, and you get this world. Uh, so you get you get. M- People vying against people because, of course, if now we are the gods of, of our own world, like all of us are, like how does yes. that work? Yeah. It's not, there's no longer one god. Mm-hmm. Now we're all little gods, and 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 then you've got the demonic world masquerading as as gods, and, and I mean it's just mm. like the chaos and chaos, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. It, and it becomes this dog eat dog world, right? And so you know, you've got Cain kills Abel, and then you've got uh, you know you've got talk of warriors celebrating how many people they've killed, and uh, mm. you've got in. in Interestingly, uh, and this is a big one f- uh, that we'll explore a bit more, but Cain builds the first city. And now we think, oh, nice, a, a nice city. No, no, no. no. But cities in those days were yeah. fortresses. Mm-hmm. That's what cities yeah. were. They were they were walled. They were big walled fortresses. And it was- Hiding. It, yeah. it was essentially hiding, right? It was a way of- uh, of shutting them out and keeping and defending me, defending myself My against space. you. That's the mm, idea yep. of a city, yep. and that's really civilization. The, the the groundwork for civilization is really in these cities, you know, because straight because then I've got to I've got to shut up. Animal, my animals as well. My, you know what I mean. I've mm-hmm. got a, uh, and and I've got a, and this is mine. And that, you know, uh, you know, historians talk about s- the development of cities as being part of, you know, defense. Tr- you know, that's tribal warfare, and and that that grows to the point where this group of people is defending themselves against this other group of people, and so therefore I've got to have an, an army, and I've got to feed an army. So I, I start pillaging other people's, y- you know, stuff. so, so, oh. I, so well, yeah. well, I grow crops, and yeah. so so nutritious. You know, so like growing yeah. crops like wheat, which have almost no nutritious mm-hmm. value, which require a lot of backbreaking work for mm-hmm. which we weren't really built anyway. You know, I've got to shut up all my animals. So living, you know, sh- caging up animals and living mm-hmm. with it, that's mm-hmm. where they, they, you know, readily say that's where disease, a lot of disease mm-hmm. uh, started. Uh, in, in, even from a naturalistic point of view, mm-hmm. you sort of see, and, and this is, I've been interested to see like Jared Diamond, um, the uh, you know, anthropologist historian wrote a very famous a number of very famous books, uh, and he says the move to the Neolithic stage in human history was cities and whatever was the greatest disaster that ever befell humankind, and and it's interesting that that's kind of where you'd put the fall from a biblical mm-hmm. point of view. You'd put the fall there. So even you've got you know someone uh, like Jared Diamond recognizing that some. Great disaster happened mm. back there, you know that that spawned the Neolithic, uh, mm. the Neolithic Revolution. Everything kind of goes wrong from there, and that has really important implica- implications for you know this story of progress, and mm. you know because if it's all, if the whole thing is built on that foundation, that 
doesn't augur well for and also the move from collective well being prior to the fall mm-hmm. to now individual. I'm looking after me. I don't yeah. care about mm-hmm. anyone else. So that whole collective, that sense of collectiveness and and our impact on all that. And I know we'll come back to Cain and Abel in the next episode probably. But you know, interesting to me that 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 murder was committed over worship of God. You know, yeah, it's like that's right. The first murder in the Bible was actually over yeah, that's worship. Right. Um, I know, isn't it interesting? It's just, and I think just to just to close off, and and we'll 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 continue to discuss in the, is this in the next episode. But what you see is consequences. God is allowing. This is the world. This is what human beings chose. And and in a, at the end of chapter three, essentially what God is saying is that this is what you just chose. Hmm. This is what I created. So so you know that second half of 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 chapter three is a contrast to chapter one and two, where you have got this perfect world that yields and and you know it's this heavenly earth essentially. But now. Now you've got this situation of chaos again. We've gone back to chaos. And, you know, it's interesting that the culmination, chapter 6, the culmination is growth of evil is that God sends a flood. And, of course, the flood is indicative of that original watery chaos. It's like we've gone back to Ge- Genesis 1 verse 2. Start again. Yeah, where we're starting again. And that's exactly what God does. He starts again. And, and this is where you get, you know, the story. You know, God essentially commits himself to a plan of redemption there. Uh, and that's that's the all-important all thing. So, so consequences are important. This is the world that we chose, and God allows those consequences to flow. But God has also committed himself to a plan of redemption. And that redemption is not God pushing man out of the way, so, oh, come on, I'll just have to fix this now. No, it's got to involve human beings because he put them in charge. And ultimately, it's got to involve one who is perfectly human, a second Adam who's going to reverse what the first Adam did. And that is why so central to everything is the name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv. If there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us. Our email is contact at thrivetoday.tv. Until next time, our prayer is that you will thrive.